Hello everyone, 7 Investing CEO Simon Erickson here, and thank you for listening to the 7 Investing Podcast. Our podcast is made possible by our subscribers, who allow us to empower you to invest in your future each and every month. In exchange, we give our subscribers exclusive access to our monthly stock market recommendations from each of our lead advisors. To support this podcast and join other 7 Investing fans in our exclusive subscribers forum, where we discuss the latest market moves in real time, go to 7investing.com slash subscribe to subscribe to 7investing today. We're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 7investing podcast. I'm JT Street with the marketing team here at 7investing, and I'm joined today by 7investing CEO Simon Erickson. And we're going to break down Simon's recent adventure into the world of climate investing and climate science with the uh, MIT Climate Tech Review. Simon, it's been, I think you called it drinking from a fire hose. Uh, It's been an awful lot of information in the past uh, week. How are you doing? How are you processing uh, everything that you just experienced? It is drinking from the fire hose. That's kind of the unofficial motto of MIT is there's a lot going on. There's a lot of smart folks at this conference. And from an investing perspective, you know, how is all of this money that's on the table for smart entrepreneurs to tap into for climate related goals? How do we make money off of it as investors? That was a frame that I took when I went to the conference. Yeah, you said it. And one of the things that I've been seeing, you know, just monitoring seven investings, X profiles and social media is when the Inflation Reduction Act passed, a lot of people were looking from the investor standpoint, like, okay, there's $1.2 trillion that's earmarked for inflation reduction. What does that mean? Um, nearly, I think it was somewhere around like $370 billion of that $1.2 trillion is, is earmarked for exactly this kind of thing. Is that is that correct? There's a couple different ones. You know, there's a, these are all kind of bipartisan, you know, that they're agreed on by the Democrats and the Republicans. You've got an infrastructure law that was from 2021. You've got the Inflation Reduction Act, which is an interesting name for it because it actually was initially targeting uh, clean energy jobs being created here in the United States. And then the Department of Energy has got $400 billion of authority to make loans for climate related uh, goals. So, you know, over, altogether, almost $2 trillion with a T. Uh, it's kind of going into this and it's got broader goals. Um, you know, we obviously want to create uh, jobs from this and, and, you know, stimulate the economy from this. But a lot of it also is kind of to reshore a lot of the innovation and the R&D uh, that has gone overseas in the last several decades for manufacturing, you know, solar panels, whatever it might be, components for uh, renewable energy or for electric vehicles. America wants to make a lot of that um, within our own shores to push out, you know, electric vehicles, to push out solar panels, push out a new grid. A lot of this is kind of earlier upstream and then also downstream with the manufacturing. So one of the first presentations you went to, and I'm kind of going uh, based on your notes, which are available at 7investing.com, but I I wanted to to take a a step back and talk about one of the, uh, the, the best named uh, presentations that I think I've seen in recent memory, which is the most important number in the world, which is like such a tease as a marketer. I love it. So uh, take me through that presentation. Uh, who gave it and what is the most important number in the world? Is it 42? 
Yeah, seven, seven investing, right? That's the seven is the most number. lucky seven. That's right. Seven investing is the most was, important number. That was from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, wasn't it? The answer to life, the universe, and everything. That's right. That's right. Now, the, the number that uh, that is discussed in this one is two. It's uh, two degrees Celsius, which is kind of from the Paris Accords of um, trying to control the temperature increase from pre-industrial society through everything that we're going through right now. It's trying to control emissions and greenhouse gases to reduce global warming. And so, you know, this starts as um, kind of, you know, uh, activists, you know, people, people internationally have a, a common interest in controlling global warming. And then they kind of figure out, you know, how could we actually do things that could control that with emissions and carbon trading uh, schemes and all these other things. And then countries agree to enact the goals of the accord. And so the United States is one of those. Joe Biden is very big on this. Much of Europe is very big on this, too. And then that gets put into policy. Like what we've seen with the IRA, with other policies that America is pushing right now, to actually go out there and encourage entrepreneurs um, to do good things for the environment. And the IRA is very closely tied to this, again, the Inflation Reduction Act. A lot of people are saying this is all carrots and no sticks. Uh, there's a lot of incentives, whether that's for manufacturing facilities that are building solar panels, or there are credits, tax credits for the production of things that are considered environmentally friendly. There's not a whole lot of sticks, uh, of regulations, of penalties. For, for industrial corporations that are that are not um, that are not aligned with what the the goals of these these things are, but you know there, there's kind of a lot of talk of you know how is this going to progress over the next couple of years? At least we're taking a step in the right direction. Yeah, and one of the main things you just mentioned, uh, solar panels there, which I think leads us into our next discussion, which is you know electrification is I think one of the areas where if you're charging that two percent number. There's going to be a lot of focus, right? People automatically think greenhouse gases, they think cars, but weaning us off of fossil fuel production on the macro scale for for plants and uh, you know how we actually power our homes is pretty major contributor to the to the carbon footprint of the planet. So uh, let's talk electrification. Uh, you know, what did you see from the conference that would be sort of a, a bellwether for investors or, or, or a guide for investors to look to as we, I mean, obviously move into renewables, move into those kind of things, but who are the emerging uh, winners in, in the electrification of America and the world from a green perspective? Yeah. And, and electrification in this, in this sense just means using electricity instead of fossil fuels for whatever energy you're trying to create, right? And so the biggest electrification has been electrification of vehicles. EVs are using battery power, which comes from electricity, rather than burning gasoline uh, through the exhaust pipe of your car. But this is going on in a lot of other places, too, that people are starting and companies are starting to figure out, can we use low-cost renewable energy that's produced from the sun or wind or elsewhere to replace natural gas? Natural gas is kind of the go-to for producing heat. Uh, in our homes, but also in a lot of industrial applications. And are there ways to actually replace that with renewable energy? And so some of the uh, examples of what this could be, Dow Chemical, uh, who I actually used to work for, paid for my college education. Uh, thank you very much for that, Dow. But they're looking to use um, electrification for process heat in their Gulf Coast operations down at Freeport and elsewhere. Uh, Microsoft uses a lot of, uh, of power uh, for its data centers, uh, for cloud computing. You know, can it be using more and more renewable sources for that rather than some of the things that they're using right now, which are burning fossil fuels for power? 
And so one of the biggest things has been, you know, first of all, can you replace fossil fuels with electricity? And then the other big topic, JT, is where is that electricity coming from? Solar has been such a hot topic uh, of conversation, pun intended on that one, for several years, for almost a decade, um, as kind of the primary uh, form of renewable energy. But I'll tell you one thing that got a lot of attention at this conference was nuclear uh, small modular reactors. Because it, it, there are limitations with renewable energy from, um, from solar. If it's not shining, you know, the sun's not shining outside, if there's a storm, or if it's nighttime, you're not getting anything out of your solar panels. And the same thing with wind, if, you're, if the wind's not blowing. But nuclear can be, if you can do nuclear at a smaller scale, we don't have to build these $50 billion plants out there. If you can make them small and modular, uh, that's, that's baseline power throughout the entire day. It's always running. You've always got a continuous flow of electricity from the grid. So SMR has got a lot of attention at this conference as well. Yeah. Can you make them modular and also mobile? Because when I hear nuclear and I hear Gulf Coast, um, that's, that's a PR problem. <laughs> as somebody who lives on the Texas Gulf Coast, it's like, you know, we flood quite a bit along there. Uh, is, is any SMR that gets filled able to handle, you know, the environmental madness that's already happening on the Gulf Coast? Uh, that's going to be interesting, but I, I do think you're seeing a bit of a resurgence in nuclear. People are getting past that word. You know, I think for, since, you know, Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, the word nuclear has been associated with disaster as opposed to a way to solve climate problems. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if SMRs can get over that hump. I, I still think they have a, a way to go that may be educational and maybe generational. Uh, but if you, but you know. The way to do that is to have successful ones that work, right? For somebody to take the plunge like Dow uh, down on the Gulf Coast or like somebody else who's working in that space. One of the and, other, and, oh, go ahead. Jake, if you don't mind, I just wanted to add one thing that, you know, this is right, that it's going to take quite a while. It's, it's not like we're putting up nuclear power plants in our backyards tomorrow. Most people think that SMRs aren't coming online until about 2029 or 2030. Right. So that's still seven years out or six or seven years out from where we are today. But you are starting to see approvals. Uh, new scale power, the ticker on that is conveniently SMR. They just get approved by a utility standard power up in Ohio and Pennsylvania uh, to, to uh, provide nearly two gigawatts of power for data centers that are going to be capping into that at the end of this decade. And then even Microsoft, uh, if you saw this news, has, has been kind of working closely with Sam Altman. Uh, who's, he's got his own kind of stealth company, Helios, who's going to be potentially producing fusion, not fission power, like what we're talking about here with SMRs, but fusion power by the end of the decade too. Uh, of course, large power requirements for the data centers that, that Microsoft needs. But this is something that it's still very, very speculative. You know, know that this is uber high risk for investors, but there is going to be, I think the takeaway here is there's going to be a huge power burden for this country, there's going to be a huge demand for renewables. Uh, and with all the kind of the climate change initiatives that are going on, it's going to have to come from either solar or wind or fusion. And fusion has certainly got its own unique differentiators. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. 
Armor All. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, one of the great takeaways from that conference uh, notes that you put down is, uh, I forget who said it, but somebody said, yeah, we don't need to be taking anything off the table right now. If it works, if it's functional, you know, the, that needs to be discussed. The only thing that we take off the table are the products that we know don't work. Uh, so I, I think that's an, an interesting takeaway from this, but you're right. I mean, it's risky now, but in the energy game and the power game, seven years is the blink of an eye. So it, you know, do you feel like we're in a place where some of these are, you know, past the too early, the dreaded too early window where you're just, you know, soaking in volatility, uh, volatility and getting beaten up for years while you wait for the pop. It's a very long time frame. You know, uh, first of all, Mike Shepard was the keynote. Uh, he is the guy that used to be the CTO at, at Meta, right? That grew it from a couple hundred people to 35,000 people. And he's kind of got a lot of operating experience. And now he's all in on investing or philanthropy for renewable energy. And your point is the right one, JT, that, you know, the time frame on these, he, he was saying in the keynote, a lot of these projects are going to take 15 years. Very, very few venture capitalists have the patience to start a fund that's not going to start producing returns for investors until 15 years later. Uh, very few individual investors want to wait 15 years to invest in these publicly traded companies. And that's why, you know, government funding and grants and tax credits and things like this are so important because you've got to, you've got to kind of put a stake in the ground when you're doing these things and get the first plant or the first demonstration out there that you can learn from and reduce your operational burden going forward. This is my past life. I did demonstration projects for a big energy company. Uh, we went out, we, we bought, uh, we acquired companies that had cool technologies, and then you had to scale them up through demonstration projects. And even that, you know, we were on a very small scale compared to what we're talking about here. But even those would take several years and a lot of patience and a lot of capital um, to get them even off the ground. And so when you're talking about something that is as important as America's energy future and the investment that's going to be required for it, yeah, there's hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars of funding available, but these projects are also going to take a lot of time. I, I think it's exciting to talk about small modular reactors and nuclear and fusion and all these things, but we kind of have to taper uh, enthusiasm a little bit because it's going to take a really, really long time for this to well, start playing out. Patience is the word to do that. I know investors who won't wait 15 days for an investment to turn around, let alone 15 years. So the dreaded P word uh, will, will definitely temper some enthusiasm here. 
where do you think people should start to look if they're looking at climate tax as part of their investing portfolio, maybe as a, you know, a moonshot, maybe as a, a small percentage of their portfolio, or maybe just from a, you know, ESG perspective, they want to put their money where their hearts are and say, you know, I, I want to support the clean energy revolution with my investing dollar. I don't necessarily care uh, you know, what it brings in in the next five to 10 years, as long as I can show support for it. You know, one that, that does have some really interesting um, potential that I, that I think is a little bit farther along than, than things like nuclear power is batteries. Uh, we have already seen that Tesla's gone out there and built gigafactories, not just in the U.S., but internationally based upon lithium-ion chemistry, uh, which is awesome. You know, Elon is a very smart person. He's very technical, and he considered a lot of different things before he said, okay, we're all in on this, but it's time to make a play. But there are a lot of critics of Tesla's approach that are saying lithium-ion is not actually the most um, efficient battery chemistry when it comes to providing the power that's necessary for an electric vehicle. Uh, and that is certainly not necessarily translatable to other things that require battery storage, such as grid storage. And so now you're starting to see other companies, publicly traded companies like Quantum Sleep. Uh, QS is the ticker on that one, if you're interested, but they're, they're doing a lithium, uh, uh, solid state lithium metal battery as the anode for the batteries that they want to provide. And they've got a whole bunch of demonstration partners, you know, Volkswagen, a whole lot of German automakers, uh, even some of the American automakers that are saying, okay, if you can scale this up and prove that, you know, we can get a faster charge and a longer range out of a vehicle battery. Yeah. We'll consider using that instead of lithium ion. Um, you know, elsewhere, there's different needs for, um, for the grid storage, which is different than the needs for consumers that are using electric vehicles. And the batteries there have got to have very, very long storage times, you know, a couple of hours, if not 10 or 12 hours of storage, and then the, the ability to deploy it to the rest of the grid so that you can match it with where the demand is. And so there's, there are different types of uh, technologies that are being looked at for this. Uh, Zinc-based batteries is a company that EOS Energy Enterprise Energy Prize, EOS Energy Enterprises, I'll get there eventually. Uh, EOSC is a ticker for that one. They're going after the zinc chemistries. There are others that are looking at sodium. Uh, lithium sulfur is another one that's being looked at. Uh, ion, uh, iron ion, iron metal ion is, uh, is another one that's being looked at and considered. Uh, but as I kind of rattle all these off, I think the important thing to realize is that we don't really know right now which one of these is going to win. There's a lot of funding. There's a lot of different options. But again, you can't just like, pull out a crystal ball and say, like, okay, it's definitely going to be zinc. Oh, it's definitely going to be sodium. It's definitely going to be nickel. Uh, there's a learning curve associated with this. And typically what helps is you kind of get a customer to say, okay, yes, we'll do a demonstration for this. We'll pay some money to you to provide these batteries for us. And then as we kind of make our own decisions of what's best for us as a business, you're going to start seeing the operational burden, operating costs per unit of output decrease over time as these projects uh, naturally select the best technologies, the best science, and the winners in the space. But there's a lot of funding. There's a lot of ideas out there. Now it's a matter of scaling them up and getting them to be the most efficient at cost. Yeah, it seems to me that what you're talking about here is we are before the Blu-ray laser disc, <laughs> you know, VCRification, uh, dating myself a little bit there. Uh, which ultimately wound up with just streaming, right? So if you're, if you're investing along that journey, uh, taking it back to a, a digital media sphere, um, I guess 
maybe a basket approach into several different battery makers would be, uh, you know, a wise uh, or prudent way to, to handle that. Uh, you know, you're, I, I, you could make a lot by picking one and saying, you know, I, I've done the research. I think this company and this battery is going to be the ultimate winner, you know, but it's, it, to me, that sounds more like, you know, throwing a dart at the dartboard blindfolded, uh, because I'm not an engineer. So, and, and, and you know, a lot of these too, is it just follow the money, right? Like look at, look at who's, who's spending money to try things out. Like Amazon just spent a lot of money on Rivian to have electric vehicles for logistics, for delivering, you know, uh, stuff you buy from Amazon prime, you know, Walmart is in the middle of a giant program that they're committing to sustainable energy. And they're going to start putting a lot more batteries and solar panels, uh, in, embedded in their operations. Like when you see these announcements. A lot of it is PR, but as an investor, you look and say, okay, you know, are they actually, is this going to be actually the next step? Is this a step change that gets the cost of these down? Because now you got some money coming in the organization. They can start building things at a larger scale. You can maybe spread some of your fixed costs across a larger volume of whatever it is you're providing. Things like this drive down the cost over time. It's really cool to have partners out there like, like Walmart or Amazon or whoever else is deploying these things. I tell you, the thing I am the most looking forward to out of all this is when we do this podcast seven to 10 years from now, and we're like, hey, isn't this cool? We can now use solar 24 hours a day because our battery technology has been upgraded to the point where we can bank this stuff for 24 hours. And we just have exponential energy that is far more than we could ever hope. And we'll be like, hey, we're at the 2020s crazy. Um, I'm looking forward to that day. So when that day comes, Simon, you and I will talk about it. Anything else you want to add uh, on the Climate Tech Conference of 2023 before I go off in a wistful daydream about the future? I, I do want to talk about one other thing, which is a lot of people will fall asleep perhaps during this topic, but it is compliant. You won't. Um, it's super know, compliant. It's super exciting, you guys. It's super. I'm hold sorry on. In hang in. Hang in there. We're getting. We're getting to it. Go ahead. It, uh, I say this the best for last, right? So that anybody can can click the stop button at this point if you don't want to get it. But, you know, the point is that um, the EU has got a lot more um, definitions about, you know, what is sustainable and, you know, what qualifies for things uh, that, you know, some of the, the capital that goes into this space has to keep in mind, right? If you're BlackRock or if you're, um, you know, a company that's funding a lot of these and you want it to be an ESG company because the EU says it has to be, for you to qualify as an ESG fund, um, there's a lot of tracking and compliance and regulations that, that is being done in Europe right now. And that is driving a lot of this stuff to volumes that are far greater than they are in the US, right? Steel making in, or fertilizer you know, making. You know, in, in the EU, they're immediately jumping on this because it's gonna qualify for definitional things that are, that are mandated by the EU. And they've also got a carbon trading scheme, you know, some other things that, that make it uh, make the economics work out a little bit more as we're kind of early in the process. And the reason I want to bring this up, I won't bore you with a lot of the specifics of it, but I think that it is important to remember that the U.S. is, is similarly possibly going to have something where the SEC or someone else is going to have, you know, some, some kind of disclosure of companies that, you know, what progress are they making for their own uh, initiatives that they have? It's cool that Walmart and Amazon are taking the lead and they want to do things that are friendly for the environment, but it would be even better if there is something that tracks these and the SEC reports those for investors to make decisions with their funds off of. I think that if we do something like that, 
this is going to have a lot more legs to it because it's all voluntary right now. Companies are doing it because they want to be a leader and get ahead of it. But all of a sudden, if you've got if you've got the stick, if you've got compliance, or you you're only going to get capital if you if you agree to certain things, then all of a sudden everybody does it, and that's going to be the step change that would re be required for a lot of these smaller companies to start getting more and more demonstrations and embedded with these bigger companies because they have to. Then. I look forward. So something to keep in mind that you know there might be a lot more reporting and SEC kind of be more involved with this in the next two or three. I look forward to the greenwashing ETF that we'll be discussing in future podcasts as everyone tries to make themselves look more ESG for investor uh, greenbacks. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Simon, thank you so much for bringing the tablets down from the mountain uh, of the uh, MIT uh, Climate Tech Conference. It's always fascinating to see you go uh, and drink from the fire hose and, and bring back these wisdoms for us uh, as we move through our investing journey. So. Thank you for doing that. Anything else you want to add uh, before we we go through the the last disclaimers here? Any other, you know, super exciting topics like compliance? Uh, no, that we've hit all of it, JG. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for hosting me. If, if you want to drink from the fire hose with Simon, he has an excellent write up of the MIT Climate Tech Conference that we are going to post beneath this podcast and the write up and wherever you're seeing this on social. So. Be sure to check that out. A lot of great stuff, diving into a lot of what we talked about here in more detail than we're able to remember and regurgitate for a podcast. So be sure to check that out. All of the information that Simon and all of our advisors get from doing these things winds up in our monthly reports. So if you subscribe to 7investing, you get our seven stock recommendations each month and all this meat that they've been you know, tearing into is what forms the basis a lot of times of these these companies that say, all right, we do think company X is you know, the one who's best positioned to tap into this $1.2 trillion of energy investment over the next 10 years. You'll see things like that as they go through the foundation, uh, foundational analysis of, fundamental analysis rather, uh, of these companies. So uh, it's really a cool thing to, to read. Uh, as somebody who's who's outside of it, you guys do great work each each month. So. Uh, if you get a chance to become a subscriber, you can do that right now for just a dollar for your first week by going to 7investing.com slash subscribe. Uh, for Simon Erickson, I'm JT Street. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. And we empower you to invest in your future at 7investing.